0: In our state, there was no clear line between religion and beer drinking. And with a half-hearted apology to Norman McLean for cribbing his opening line to A River Runs Through It, I present Last Best Stories, the beer episode. Why beer? Why is it such a thing around here? Well, I don't know. I mean, I like whiskey better if you want to know the truth. But beer in Montana, they go together like regret and a late-night brekkie of brains and eggs. If you live here, you know it's a given that you can have too many Californians moving in, but you can never ever have too many breweries. So let's go to one. We're off to Imagination Brewing, which is sort of a hippie type one in Missoula, and it's where you can sometimes find a famous Last Best Stories contributor pouring pints. But Colin May decided to come out from behind the bar to tell us this tale about would-be musicians.
1: This is a love song. All my songs are love songs. You don't write a song unless you're
2: in love. You never quite know what you're going to get at an open mic. That's kind of the point, right? She can take a meal in 30 minutes. Jeff Overturf is the guy you just heard, and he's the reason I decided to find out what makes these people, the ones who show up and go for it, tick.
1: And her name is Rachel Rachel. 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 Ray.
2: Her this open mic takes place every Monday at a brewery taproom in Missoula, Montana. It's a cozy taproom, art and wooden paneling on the walls lit by dangling bare bulbs. Mondays aren't very crowded, and most of the patrons who are there aren't there for the music. They just want to drink beer and talk with their friends. My name's Colin May. I spend a lot of time here because I work here at Imagination Brewing. I've been here pretty much since it opened in 2015, so I've seen the brewery grow and evolve, and Mondays for a while were particularly slow. Someone at some point had the idea to open it up to musicians, so we gave it a shot. I just did what I always did, poured a lot of beers, washed a lot of glasses, but over time I started to figure out that there was maybe something special going on here. Not everyone is who you think they are. So you've got Jeff. He's kind of the ringleader, the guy who could maybe get some paid gigs but isn't into the hassle of organizing his life. Thought
1: I needed more incentive than just sitting in my room playing for myself, so I started looking up open mic nights where you could express yourself to other people and hear what they had to say too. Open mics aren't so much a showing off thing for me, it's everybody communicating with each other.
2: I noticed Jeff because he seems like himself up there, comfortable. Plus, he was maybe a tiny bit more talented than some of the other regulars.
1: Oh no.
2: That's Brett Scandalson. If Jeff is kind of the John Prine of the group, maybe Brett is the Dave Matthews. Maybe.
3: I mean, Brett is not the best singer. But he's a phenomenal... He's not a phenomenal, but he is a good guitar player.
2: Hannah Reagan is another bartender at the brewery, and we've been working this open mic shift together for a while now.
3: I guess I don't really understand open mics because I would never do it myself. Like... One thing that I don't like about the open mic is that I feel secondhand embarrassment pretty regularly, (laughs) like at least once for one person.
2: A lot of times, she feels that way about Brett. Brett's like Jeff in the way that he comes early and is dependable. He's a pretty normal-looking guy, mid-30s. He's often wearing a tie, which is kind of weird in Missoula. But he wears a tie because in his day job, he's a criminal defense attorney.
1: Working this kind of work... I've stood up and represented people who have been accused and have done some pretty reprehensible things. Um, and there's really nothing worse than a courtroom full of people judging you. And so once I got over that initial fear of getting up in front of a jury and arguing a case or whatever, once you get past that, it's really difficult to set you, you know, off kilter. I'm pretty level.
2: I didn't realize for months he was a lawyer. That's not really part of who he is when he's at the microphone. But after I started talking to him, a lot of things became clear. This open mic is his outlet. He'd go even further and say it's like therapy.
1: Which I'd, I'd done in the past and had some, a counselor. Um, but really, once I started playing and writing music again, it, it took that need away from me. I, I feel like I'm dealing with things through music again. It's a lot cheaper than therapy. Although I, have bu- I bought two new guitars this year, so it's actually not. At this, <laughs> at this moment, it's not cheaper. But.
2: Brett's done some pro bono work and recently worked a case with the Montana Innocence Project that resulted in their first exoneration. This is a little college town, and he's got a pretty big job. Once I learned all this about Brett, once I reached out to him and realized he's a lot more than a Dave Matthews wannabe, I started to like his music a bit more. After Brett, a guy named Nanda starts to set up. This is Nanda's third or fourth week playing He's wearing sort of a baggy, vaguely Caribbean outfit. He's white. He drinks kombucha instead of beer, and he plays some sort of electronic drum machine.
3: Um, and I have a soft spot for, like, super stoner, like, world peace music, but it's not really what I listen to anymore.
2: Nanda is sort of an elusive guy, so I wasn't able to meet with him. But he seems like someone who's playing for the love of the music and not for any sort of self-promotion. He never says anything about himself to the audience. You'd think people would want to play an open mic as sort of a stepping stone to making it as a musician. But Hannah and I both find over and over that that's not really the case. It seems like people like Nanda just really want to play live.
3: I really admire people that just walk in and are confident in themselves, and they're, they're, they're just there to play for themselves. Mm-hmm.
2: There are people passionate about music, and there are people that want to make it, and the sort of Venn diagram is actually mm-hmm. a pretty small sliver. Totally. Because there's so much ego involved in one pursuit and not, yeah. not in the other. Yeah. Every now and then we get a newcomer or a one-timer. Sometimes they impress, sometimes they miss the mark. Next up is a young couple who are about to play their first open mic as a duo. They both have been musicians their whole lives, but have only been dating and playing music together for a year. Here's Danielle Sanderson and her boyfriend, Alex Barton.
3: I wasn't feeling nervous, really, at all. And um, he was. Ten minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes before we were supposed to perform. Which is why I like to rehearse.
2: They sound good, right? A friend of mine who has seen them play in a private setting described it as vomit-inducing, but you know, in a complimentary way. Danielle grew up training as a concert pianist, but has only been singing for about as long as she's been dating Alex. Meanwhile, Alex is a seasoned vocalist. Much of his self-training as a guitarist happened during his time as a fish head, and a lot of his public singing was while he was in an acapella group. You got fish and acapella. But Alex knows how to rehearse. His discipline, paired with the fact that he's a more experienced guitarist and singer, and maybe a few years older than Danielle, has led to some tension between
3: them. Sometimes I think I can come across like a little too directorial, maybe, when we play. Let's start here again, let's do that again, okay but sometimes I'll just want to be like, can we just play together and not have any structure whatsoever to this? I think she said those exact words <laughs> at one point. Same tone. I feel like that exact sentence was, was said.
2: I mean, a lot of couples can't even play cards together, so it's not surprising that playing music together isn't always harmonious. But when they perform together, that tension seems to go away. (laughs) Alex and Danielle are one of the few duos I've ever seen play at our open mic. Most open micers are solo acts, working to develop their sound. There's one young woman I've noticed in particular over the past few months. I've been impressed with how she's gone from a sort of odd woman out to part of the regular crew.
4: The first time I actually came... During an open mic, I didn't bring anything with me, um, and just being around all of them made me want to play. Somebody came up and was like, are you playing anything? And I was like, "Uh, I don't know. And they were like, you should go get your instrument and play something. Taylor Lee
2: moved to Missoula from Portland, Oregon, where open mics seemed kind of high strung and competitive.
4: There's something, like, very approachable about Missoula, and I don't think it's because there's less talent here. I just feel like the talent is received and, like, thought about differently, I guess.
2: Hannah knows Taylor from outside the brewery, and Hannah's second-hand embarrassment is at its most sensitive when Taylor is playing.
3: I always make myself busy when she plays. I don't want to freak her out or, you know, stand there and, and watch her. Um, and I've really enjoyed watching her become more confident and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that all of these men that play the open mic regularly have totally taken her in.
2: Taylor's in her mid-twenties, wavy brown hair. She can turn some heads, particularly compared with the regular guys but she's really coming to her own in this group that's mostly dudes like Brett, he's in his 30s, and Jeff Overturf, who's in his 60s. Jeff has actually taken on a kind of guardian-slash-mentor-slash-father role when it comes to Taylor, and he's done that with a couple other young women who maybe don't have as much confidence or are getting the wrong kind of attention.
1: The folk singer's got to fight for the underdog, and it's a shame that that's still the underdog, you know. Right. 52% of the population. And Taylor uh, has got her own sound. She's got her own point of view already. And that needs to be supported. She needs to know she doesn't have to kowtow to whatever else's idea of what she should do is.
4: Like, you can feel that intention, too. And I feel like I'm really cynical (laughs) and very suspicious of a lot of people that do give me compliments in this sort of setting because it can feel kind of like flirtatious or have other intentions I feel like I'm good at scoping that out at this point and it's really refreshing to have somebody and like invested in you in a different sort of sense
2: Jeff grew up in Great Falls Montana he's bald with a gray goatee he worked in printing for decades he hasn't lived in Missoula that long and now his job is working at the carousel putting kids on horses and reloading the brass rings you wouldn't look at this guy and immediately think
1: now that is an enlightened fellow but you know what? He is. When I see a female getting out there, they need to not just have everybody run up to them and say they're, they're great because they're good looking. And I can use the fact that I'm 30 years older than them, even though I know they're good looking. They can accept my specific praise of their music and, and feel good about themselves. I find a trend in my songs. I got like three songs now where there's a little girl as the hero of the song. <laughs> and I wonder if I'm overcompensating trying to pat them on the back.
2: And that brings us right back to Rachel Ray. A lot of people hate her, right? Because she's so damn perky when she's talking about things like olive oil. When Jeff's Rachel Ray song comes on, people usually stop their yammering, especially when he drops in the lines about Beyonce and Jay-Z.
1: Just about the time I was doing open mic nights, Beyonce released an album. And And on this album called Lemonade, she accuses her husband Jay Z of having an affair with a girl named Becky with the Good Hair. And it seems Becky with the Good Hair is a nickname that Beyonce gave to her good friend, Los Angeles fashion designer, Rachel Roy. And when the Beehive went on Twitter to get after Rachel Roy, seriously, about two thirds of it went to Rachel Ray. Ray And I thought, well, that just, I'll just write a, a joke verse for that. Don't try to lead this
2: on Beyoncé. It sure turned my head. Becky
1: with the good hair really should shoulder this away. Hey, Twitter, you know Jay-Z's a real low dance comeback.
2: With just a few funny lines, Jeff went from being the background music, pleasant, conversational folk music appropriate for a quiet taproom,
1: She got 101 varied recipes from
2: that day. to being the center of attention.
1: It became an epic thing, and it was all the elements of a folk song like Alice's Restaurant you do where I'd sit and talk in the middle of it and stuff. But it's really a good song for catching people's attention. And after listening to that, because they're not ready for that, they're more apt to listen to what I have to say next.
2: Even though people seem to like the open mic night, nobody comes specifically to check out the music, and I, I think that works for a lot of open mic performers. They're here for the microphone and whatever power it has, rather than who's on the other side of the speakers. Doesn't seem to matter who is or isn't paying attention. They're working on other things, musical things, personal things. And you know, it can just be perfectly fine background music. But I' found the open mic is a different beast when you start paying attention, whether it's to cringe with second-hand embarrassment, laugh at a funny story, or just feel the swell of a perfect harmony. If you're paying attention, the music just sounds better.
1: Oh, thank you
2: For last best Stories, I'm Colin May.
0: Colin is a lot of things beyond being a solid audio producer and, of course, a true Montanan, even though he grew up in Baltimore and now lives in New Orleans. He's also the editor of the art and lit magazine Beyond Beer, which recently published its second issue. It's really fun and smart, kind of like Colin. Find out more about it at Imagination, that's two words squished together, imaginationbrewing.com. Next, lace up your runners and follow me to Livingston way down there in Park County. That's where an annual race, unlike most others, is gearing up again. Eric Peterson ran the beer mile only once, and you'll probably know why after hearing this audio essay we put together.
5: Drinkers with a running problem. Lap one. Alyssa Davis grabbed a red solo cup full of Bud Light, stepped to the starting line, and took a deep breath. When she heard the word go, she slammed the beer in less than 10 seconds, really? dropped the cup, yeah. and took I off.
1: <laughs> no. I, I like your style. Dare, dare I go PBR?
5: With 25 other runners gathered at a city park in Livingston, Davis was competing in the beer mile, a sport that combines drinking and running, and where the fastest runners don't always win. Instead, the playing field is leveled by how quickly you can drink.
1: It took me like 40 seconds for one beer. Yeah, that's
5: too long. Variations have existed on college campuses for decades, But the sport was hoisted into the public arena following several high-profile, record-setting attempts and the first-ever beer mile world championship in Austin, Texas. Davis knew her strength was running, not drinking. The previous year, her belly had redlined halfway through the final lap, forcing her to pull off to the side and rid her tummy of the 48 ounces of Bud Light that were sloshing violently inside. This year, the 44-year-old ski travel agent resolved to keep it in and to win. On your marks. Get set, go! Davis's hot pink running shirt and black shorts were a blur as she worked to build a lead on the women chasing her. If she could keep the beer down, she was confident she could bring the trophy home. I'd first heard of the beer mile when its race director approached me after a local 5K. He told me of a different kind of race he hosts each year. He said it was only advertised by word of mouth. I love to run, and I love a good beer. How hard could it be? By the start of lap two, I was finding out how wrong I was. What normally came naturally was now feeling clunky and heavy. I ran through the grassy park, burping and gasping for breath simultaneously. The beer mile is not easy. Lance Armstrong tried one in Texas in 2014 and dropped out after one lap, saying it wasn't what he expected. My friends have more respect for me now that Lance couldn't even do it, Davis said. The Livingston Race is one of the only annual beer miles held in Montana. Originally, the race took place on the high school track, but it was moved to the city park following grumblings from the school board. The idea of Livingston's civic leaders and school administrators slamming beers and running around the track raised some eyebrows. When the race first began, the lumber mill and railroad were the two big employers. Now, writers and artists fill the cafes and taverns on Livingston's busy Main Street. As the dynamics of the town change, the beer mile draws from a diverse spectrum of the community. A fleet-footed doctor won it two years in a row. He was eventually beat by a fast-drinking firefighter. I stood in the drinking area next to several other out-of-breath runners, alternating between gulping beer and gasping for air. The second beer polished, I let out a belch and headed out for the next quarter mile of carbonated complication. By the start of lap three, Josh Pierce was asking himself a familiar question Why the hell am I doing this? He slammed his third beer in an alarming three seconds. A tall, athletically built firefighter with blonde hair and blue eyes, Pierce is not a runner. I hate running with a passion, he said with a quick laugh. It's my least favorite thing to do, right up there with roofing and sheetrocking." But the guy can drink. It's a skill he didn't discover until six years ago. I didn't drink at all in college, he said. I didn't know I could chug beer that fast until the first beer mile. Pierce has earned Livingston's Beer Mile Champion title four times. The trick is to do it really fast, he said. By the time the beer sets in, you're done racing. Then you can be miserable and sitting still instead of miserable and running. All right. Pierce has some other secrets that help him excel. He eats two pieces of bread before the race to soak up the alcohol. He forces himself to belch as much as possible while running. I can belch on command, he says. And he sticks with Pap's Blue Ribbon for its lightness and chuggability. Most beer milers agree it's more important to be a fast drinker than a fast runner. It takes some heavy drinking skills, Pierce said, something your mom can really be proud of. Davis, who finished second to a speed drinker for the past four years, said the fastest drinkers have another advantage. It can totally get in your head when you see those empty cups drop at the start of the race while you're still drinking, she said. By the time I finished waddling through the third lap, I was ready to quit or vomit or both.
1: We're all about finishing. 100% finishing.
5: The carbonation had built up to the point where I could no longer belch. My already overfilled stomach felt as if it had been shaken violently and the cork was ready to pop. But to puke is to lose. Rules vary. The Livingston rules say if you vomit before crossing the finish line, you can't win. BeerMile.com rules say you must run an extra lap. Either way, I needed to pull it together. I had ceased to care about the competition. I was now in what runners often refer to as the pain cave. Although the term is generally reserved for runners suffering through the final miles of a marathon, or a hundred mile race, I had only run three quarters of a mile. The final drops drained, I tossed the cup to the ground and set out at a blistering stagger. The world slowed down, I could see people ahead of me, people who should have been far behind me. I needed to stop the beer from sloshing violently in my stomach, so I switched from the bounce of a runner's gait to something with less up and down motion. I call it my smooth hustle. Others might call it walking. 25, 26, hurry. Finish line. They will tell you it's all about the camaraderie of accomplishing a feat. They will say it's just a fun social event that brings runners together. Some even suggest it's simply the uniqueness of getting to drink and run that draws them in. But the truth goes beyond that. When the cop and the copy machine repair man, the doctor and the firefighter tow the line at a beer mile, the playing field is leveled. No longer does the fastest runner or strongest athlete automatically win. Davis, a shorter than average runner, recalls the year a tall, athletic-looking woman with super long legs showed up to the race, talking smack right from the start. She dropped after two laps, Davis said. Davis admits she will never win a standard running race, but she finally earned the Beer Mile trophy this year. Man, really needs next year. And you are no slouch. <laughs> 650 is a good time. That's the beauty of the Beer Mile. It transcends the rules of nature, and everybody likes to win.
0: Eric Peterson adapted that piece from an essay he wrote for Distinctly Montana magazine. Eric's a photographer and filmmaker who's been looking at Montana through his lenses for at least two decades. He shot The Beer Mile, too. You can check out his great photos at our website, lastbeststories.org. And before we leave Eric, I also have to tell you about the film he made with Jeremy Lurgio, my colleague at the University of Montana Journalism School. It's a documentary called The Hard Way, about ultra-runner Bob Hayes as he's about to turn 90. It's winning awards on the international film circuit, and it'll screen in Big Sky on September 16th. Follow the film on Facebook by searching for The Hard Way Documentary. And lastly, don't know if you heard, but Last Best Stories had an honest-to-God crossover event. The story we ran in episode 10 about trail guys in Glacier National Park surviving their encounter with a Mama Grizz was picked up by our friends over at Wyoming Public Radio. That station's podcast, Human Nature, is one you definitely got to check out. Get it where all podcasts are sold. Thanks for listening. I'm Jewel Banville. See you next time.